the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs contributor Colin Zarzicki. And today we'll be discussing an injured first baseman and a trio of cast members from the Evil Empire. And the most interesting player alive today, as usual, we'll start out with. And I am going to give you one guess, just like I did with Eno on Thursday. One guess, Colin, on who is the most searched for player on Fangraphs at this very moment. And probably at every very moment for the past week. Uh, I actually yes. did cheat a little bit and listen to the podcast oh. on Thursday. But I, yeah. I, I mean, it could be someone like Brandon League of the Flying Puigs of L.A. or something like that, right? <laughs> ding, ding, ding. You mentioned Puig and that is the correct answer. Come on, Fangrass readers. Isn't there anybody else you have any interest in looking at his player page than Yasiel Puig? Because seriously, I haven't seen another name atop that search list in like two weeks. It used to be Miguel Cabrera every single day, and now it's Yasiel Puig every single day. So it'll be fun to find out who that player is that knocks him off of that that top position. I don't know who it's going to be. But we are not going to talk about Puig, obviously. Um, Instead, we're going to talk about Matt Harvey, who comes in at the number three position. So we got word that Harvey is only going to make another 10 starts through the remainder of the year. Colin, do you think this hurts his fantasy value at all? Uh, I mean, I, I just took a look at it quickly um, after I heard the, the news come across a couple days ago. And I think, yeah, I mean, Terry Collins said 10 more starts. Uh, I got to look at actually what he's, what he's at right now. He's at uh, 21. So he's at 21 for, I mean, I don't know. 10 more starts, but is he losing out on, on two or three? Uh, I mean, I've seen some people kind of say, uh, in terms of fantasy, maybe we should try to move Matt Harvey for the rest of the season. I mean, I don't know. He just gives you such good rates that um, unless you are really getting a haul back and you can really, you know, help make up some of those stats elsewhere, I'm not going to really lose sleep over, you know, 15, 20 innings, especially in, in, uh, in roto categories head to head. If you have playoffs late in the season, you know, that's kind of always an issue. And, and with these younger guys, you really should be looking to move them, I guess. But, you know, as a Harvey owner in a deep Roto League, I, I don't think I'm going to even consider moving him. So, yeah, aside from I'm going to I'm going to go over the math in a, in a second, but I'm just scrolling down looking at Harvey's stats. And I, I knew that his control was better than expected this year. But the guy's got a sub two walk rate. Who the heck ever expected that? It's literally half of what he posted both last year in 60, uh, 59 innings with the Mets and at AAA. How does this happen? I mean, have you seen a young pitcher take as much as a step forward as Matt Harvey has this year? And that's already from a level that was really good to begin with. I mean, this is ridiculous in terms of moving forward with his control. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very impressive. It's actually, you know, I remember a lot of what we kind of heard last year was he had, you know, really good stuff. And, you know, he's not he's not a big walk guy. We're not talking about like a five or six walks per nine. But he had kind of been actually almost regressing as he went up the ladder. I mean, kind of, I guess what you expect is you face better and better hitters. But his walk rate was getting worse and worse and worse until he got to the big leagues. And this year, you know, like I like you just said, I mean, 
the strikeout rate is essentially right what it was last year, but the walk rate is, you know, he's down from a 10% to a 5% uh, walk rate. Um, I mean, I just kind of take a little perusal over his other things. I mean, his first pitch strikes up, his zone percentage is up. I mean, there's nothing really jumping off the page at me that's kind of being like, this guy is like a control artist. I wonder if it's just the degree of, you know, if you have stuff that's just as good as Harvey's, if you just become more comfortable with kind of pounding the strike zone and getting swings and misses, if that kind of um, essentially helps in, in the walk rate department. It's something I find very frustrating with a lot of pitchers, especially younger ones that have really good stuff that have a tendency to want to nibble. Um, you know, this just could be a situation where you got a guy that's really, really trusting his out pitches. I, I think it's a situation where his stuff is so good that his balls are being swung and missed at. I mean, if you look at his O swing percentage, it's at nearly 37% compared to the 31% league average. Now, I don't have the leaderboards up, but I would I would guess that that's near league-leading levels, 37% O swing percentage, and his O contact percentage is down at just 58% versus about a 67% league average. So that's what he's doing. He's throwing pitches out of the strike zone that are getting swung at and missed because his stuff is so freaking good that all his balls are being swung at. And obviously, if your balls are being swung at and missed, you're not going to walk anybody. So that's exactly what's happening here. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know why he's so much better at this than in previous years, but it, it just doesn't look that fluky, especially watching him pitch. And, and he just effortlessly throws in his 95 to 99 mile per hour fastball. Well, that's actually I, – I noticed that um, you know before we started recording this, I looked up. I mean his, his fastball velocity actually is up this year. Actually, his velocity on almost all of his pitches is up across the board, which maybe shows he's still kind of building into that frame. Um, you know, the – frame that's carrying dinner plates out of hotel rooms or whatever it was in the the espn body issue <laughs> um they were being very liberal with that on, on one of the mets telecasts a, a couple days ago it kind of burned in my retina now but even if you look at his fastball velocities this year he's actually even trended up as the seasons went along um he opened the season kind of throwing 94 95 and he's just actually gotten stronger he's now sitting up around 96 97 um i mean this is it really seems to be the mark of of a guy who's kind of you know, he's he's really – I know Eno's done a lot of work and some other guys in terms of, of when velocity peaks and, and how young pitchers kind of build into their bodies. But he just kind of has a really strong, really healthy arm right now, and he's kind of letting the uh, the maturation essentially of him as a pitcher is really kind of bringing that stuff up to another level this year. All right, let's get to the math uh, on the 10 more starts that he's going to have over the rest of the season. So right now he's averaging 6.9 innings per start, which – if he continues to do that over 10 stars, that's another 69 more innings, which is going to get him to 214 innings for the season, which is quite a, a jump from last year's 100. Oh, he was at 170 last year. Actually, that's not that crazy of a jump. And that's, yeah, that's not that crazy. But if you're looking, I mean, usually uh, a number one starter is going to have 33 to 35 starts per season. And and that's uh, a little more. That's like five and a half starts a month. So realistically, he's only going to be losing one to two starts overall with that ten start limit for the rest of the year. I don't think that really. I mean, obviously that's going to hurt his value maybe by a buck or something. But given how good he is in terms of quality per start, there's no reason whatsoever where owners should be panicking and, and trying to, to sell him. I understand maybe if you're in a head-to-head league in one of those stupid leagues where you have the playoffs over the last 
two weeks of the season. And let me let me first say that those leagues are absolutely retarded, and and the first mistake <laughs> that you made is being in one of those leagues. But if you happen to be in one of those leagues, yeah, that kind of sucks. If Harvey isn't at, is is one of the guys who got you into the playoffs, and then you can't even count on him for the playoffs, and that's why these those league formats are so stupid. Yeah, that hurts, and maybe you do want to trade him away. But for all of us who made the correct decision and who play in regular standard Roto Leagues, or even <laughs> points leagues that are not head-to-head, no, don't trade Harvey, don't discount him, and just hope that he gets some run support, which is kind of pathetic that he only has eight wins uh, on the entire year at this point. Yeah, and just one other quick note on the head-to-head leagues is, I, from my personal experience, a lot of head-to-head leagues are on the shallow side. If you're playing a really deep thing, you're in Roto. And at that point, when you're playing so shallow, usually the pool of guys that you can pick from in terms of two starters and things like that is actually relatively high. So, I mean, yeah, uh, there's just so much random variation in a week-to-week thing. Even then, I would actually still probably keep Harvey unless there was absolutely some reason why I, you know, was like, I'm going to run out the world's worth pitching staff. I don't get rid of Harvey right now. It's just, you know, it's just kind of keep playing the odds there. Or, or you know what you do is if your trade deadline is the end of August, you can hopefully pinpoint the uh, the clueless soul in your league. And at the end of August, you can trade Harvey to that guy where he unknowingly only gets like two more starts from Harvey and, and you pick up a guy who's going to help you the entire month, including through the playoffs. Uh, that's true. But, I mean, if you're playing in a league with those guys, <laughs> unless it's for big bucks and you're, you know, the four-time reigning champion or something, I, I maybe you should look at another league next year. So, Then you have two reasons to look for another league, because you're in a head-to-head <laughs> and because your competition is very low. Yeah. All right, let's move along to perhaps the biggest news of the last couple of days, and that's Albert Pujols, who has a partial tear of his left planter fascia. Fascia? I don't know exactly how that's pronounced. But it, it sounds painful, whatever it is. So Yeah, but he's been playing hurt all season long, and that's obviously showing up in his numbers. But the news is that he is going to be out for a while regardless of whether he needs surgery, but he might need surgery as well, and he could very well be out for the entire season. Now, the interesting thing is that fantasy owners won't necessarily miss him that that much just because he's been quite disappointing this year but obviously the potential I mean he still is Albert Albert Pujols and so the potential that he had helping a team is there and they're going to miss that so what's a fantasy owner to do if they own Albert Pujols give me one name that a fantasy owner might find on his free agent uh, wire that he can pick up to replace Pujols uh, one guy that's really caught my interest the last month or so, and I actually scooped him up over the last couple of weeks in a couple of different leagues, has been uh, Nick Swisher. Um, and you know, I'm oh, not really clearly, sure. clearly you have been reading my articles because I did name him as a second half breakout candidate just what was it two weeks ago. So uh, I wholeheartedly agree. But why do you like Swisher? Oh well, great minds, I guess, or, or something. Yes, absolutely. No. I don't really know. I mean, I was looking at kind of, you know, he popped up in a couple of leagues I was in and, he, you know, his ownership percentage was still relatively low. I think it was in like the 40 percent or something. And I really couldn't figure out why, especially he has dual first base outfield eligibility in a lot of leagues. Uh, some of it might be I actually know he missed, uh, what, the first few weeks, four or five weeks or something of the season um, with injury. But, you know, I mean, all he's done so far this year is just hit line drives and hit line drives and hit line drives. You know, if you go down and browse, you know, I just pulled up the last 30 days leaderboard on Fangraphs, 
And, you know, he's sitting there at a, you know, a 274, 378, 440 line, which is not, you know, great, but certainly startable in, in most leagues. And then you look and you say, okay, 339 BAPIP, or yeah, maybe he's playing a little over his head. I mean, the guy has a 27% line drive rate over the same period. I mean, his X BAPIP is probably a couple points higher than his actual BAPIP is. Uh, I mean, you got a guy that's going to be hitting in the middle of the lineup for, you know, a surprisingly contending team in the Indians. Uh, I mean, in terms of trying to fill a spot, you know, even if you're not trying to fill pool holes, he's a guy that really should be on your radar if he's available in your league. Yeah, I mean, my argument was that the power, the home run per fly ball rate, and the ISO isolated slugging percentage is down this year. But his average fly ball and home run distance right now is at 290 feet, which suggests that the power should rebound. Uh, he, I think he battled some shoulder problems earlier in the year, and maybe it hurt him a bit, but it's not really showing up in his distance. So... With all those line drives, he's also avoiding the pop-up. He's posting a career-low infield fly ball percentage. So you would think that he's got some upside with his BABIP. And uh, couple that with the power upside, he hits in the middle of a pretty good lineup. So I think that he's got real nice second-half upside, especially because he's not a big name. And he's somebody that you can probably buy low, quite low. And uh, it should be a a, a cheap acquisition for you. like you mentioned, he may have been dropped in some leagues or he's already a free agent in a shallower league. So, yeah, so I'm a big fan of this recommendation. Yeah, do you have any other names for us? Uh, yeah, sure. Kind of going in the same vein of kind of like a you know, guy who came off uh, injury early in the year who's also kind of like a nice uh, OBP guy in leagues, uh, Logan Morrison uh, from Florida. Um, he's, you know, probably another step down in terms of tiers, in terms of ownership from, from Nick Swisher. But like Swisher has really uh, – you know, actually, since he's been back from his, you know, he's had a plethora of knee injuries over the last couple of years. I think they've mostly been on the same knee, but he's had repeated surgery. I believe it's his right knee. Um, but, you know, again, looking at him over the last, you know, four or five weeks, he's posting, you know, a, an OPS north of of 820. Uh, his bat pip has actually been very low, uh, 264. Uh, looking at his line drive rate, which isn't as nice as Swisher's, but that's still the 264, even with you know, Logan Morrison not being the fleetest of foot probably should be up a little higher. Um, but the thing I really like about him is, you know, he's posting a, essentially a one-to-one walk to strikeout rate. And I play in a lot of OBP leagues. Um, I also do play in a couple leagues that, that knock some points off for strikeouts, which, yeah, that's what the guys wanted. I don't really think that's the greatest way to play fantasy, but for you to find a new league. Yeah, maybe so. Um, but, you know, it, he's one of those guys that you can kind of plug in at first base and, and you know, he's not going to pop 20 homers over the rest of the year, but he'll give you a couple homers. He'll give you a fair amount of RBIs, but he's really also going to help you in that OBP category. And that's really why I like him personally. Yeah. And you know what? The Marlins lineup isn't so terrible anymore. I mean, it's still not good, obviously, but it's not atrocious like it was earlier in the year. Stanton is, is starting to get hot and, and starting to hit home runs again. So he's probably back to be being one of the best hitters in the National League. Then they called up the kids in Marisnik and Yellick, who, you know, I'm not really a fan of right now, but you have to admit they have more potential than what they were throwing out there earlier, although I, I would have expected a rebound from Ruggiano, but he obviously never had the chance. But it's better than Juan Pierre, and and I like those two guys better than Marcelo Zuna. And so, so it's not a terrible lineup. Logan Morrison is hitting in the middle of it, and he's had – Babbitt problems in the past. I don't know why, though. His batted ball profile looks decent, at least a league average, if not slightly higher than that. He doesn't strike out a lot for a power hitter. And and like you said, in OBP leagues, he has a, an above-average walk rate, so he's pretty good in that. So I like this 
choice as well. So you're two for two right now, and uh, I know you got a third guy, and let's see if we can go three for three. Yeah, well, the third guy I actually have on my list, and I think I got him confused a little bit with the injury in Nick Swisher. So I have Luke Scott. Um, Now, Luke Scott actually missed a month of time at the beginning of the year. Nick Swisher, I don't know. I mean, he missed games on and off. I know he had the nagging issues like you mentioned, but I flipped those a little bit. But he did miss a a large portion of the season. And when he did come off the DL in May, he was kind of slow to to get back. I mean, Luke Scott's always been a guy, you know, when he's not busy asking for birth certificates or doing whatever else, growing awesome sideburns or whatever else Luke Scott does. Uh, he just crushes righties, and that's all he does is crush righties. And that's perfect for when you have daily leagues um, or when you're doing something maybe like a draft street or something like that where you can get him in and out of lineups based on who the opposing pitcher is. Um, I mean, actually, this year he hasn't really been that bad against lefties. Uh, his his Woba is actually very similar. He does have a 375 bat against lefties, so there is still a little bit of a dichotomy there. Um, but he's a guy I think that's sub-10% in a lot of the Yahoo leagues I looked at. Um, I think sub-10% in both Yahoo and CBS. And, you know, if you're allowed to make daily lineup moves, I mean, he's a guy that essentially can play when he's playing against right-handers. He essentially plays like a top-12 option at first base, especially the power that he's shown over the last month. I think he has six homers in his last 20-something games or something like that. You know, he's actually the epitome of an injury replacement because he does the same thing year in and year out. You basically know exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get him only against right-handers. He's not going to play against lefties. You're going to get 20 to 25 home runs in those 450 at-bats. You're going to get a 260 or so average, and then you hope that you get okay RBI and run numbers. And this is the type of guy who is basically near replacement level, but he's solid enough that he's not so bad as an injury replacement. He's always probably getting picked up and then getting dropped. So he's probably going to be available in your league, and and it's not often that you find a guy who could give you 20 to 25 home run power. The only issue I have here with Scott is the playing time factor, because if he slumps, they still have Kelly Johnson now that Will Myers is up, and so they have a little bit of a a logjam between outfield and DH, And, and so it's not guaranteed that he plays even against every righty if they want to get Kelly Johnson's mid bats. Yeah, and that's you know that's a real concern. I mean, the other thing with Scott is is regardless of whether or not Kelly Johnson pilfers time from him, he's just not going to be playing against lefties. And you also run the risk of these very platoon-heavy guys being neutralized later in innings. So, you know, you might start him against a really juicy, it might be a really nice right-handed, you know, opponent or something like that. But if you knock him out by the fourth or fifth inning, you know, Scott immediately becomes a target for lefty relievers, especially, you know, the loogie types or guys that are really hard, tough on lefties. So even then, there still is a little bit of concern. I, I wouldn't like him as my plug in first baseman let him go the rest of the season um but you know if you got another okay option at first base you know maybe uh you know yonder alonso type or or something like that a jesus guzman uh, and you kind of want to try to play mix and match matchups i think that's a better situation where you can lose use luke scott all right let's move along to talk about the yankees because we have a lot of players to talk about here and i guess it was the only other real big trade so far of the trade deadline season besides Matt Garza was Alfonso Soriano, who returns back to the team that he begun his career with in New York. And uh, how does this affect his fantasy value, if at all? Uh, it probably doesn't 
quite affect his fantasy value that much. I mean, there's some people that seem kind of pessimistic on him moving to Yankee Stadium. I mean, it has slightly worse park effects in some things than Yankee Stadium, although they're, you know, really not that far off. Um, I had him up before. You know, it's a little, it, they're actually about equal for homers from righties. Uh, in terms of extra base hits, you know, Wrigley plays a little easier than Yankee Stadium does. Um, you know, the lineup, to be honest, if it, this was the Yankees of any other year in the last 20 years, you'd say big upgrade in lineup and surrounding protection. Uh, not so much this year. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm kind of expecting the same old, same old out of Alfonso Soriano switching leagues. I don't really see. He's not a strongly league dependent guy, maybe as as someone like a Matt Garza switching leagues, who I'm a little more concerned about. Yeah, I don't see much of a difference either. I mean, the big surprise this year that's really propping up his fantasy value is his steals. He's already stolen 10 bases, already attempted 15 steals. He only attempted eight last year, three the year before, six the year before that. He hasn't attempted double-digit steals since 2009, hasn't stolen double-digit bases since 2008. So that's the only question is, will he continue to run in New York? And New York does run. So it's not like he's moving to a team that really plays it station to station. It's just a matter of at his age, and he is 37 years old, is he going to continue to run as often? And, I mean, I would assume no. I I would think he's going to reign in the running game and he's going to attempt fewer steals than he has so far, and his his pace would dictate. And and so I I would think that he's basically only going to be an asset in, in home runs and RBIs at this point. Yeah, I mean, you also have to remember we have a couple months left, so I, I tend to agree with you. I think the steals are, you know, I mean, I don't think they're super fluky. He's always been actually kind of a fleet of foot guy. It's, you know, it's interesting as to why the why the steals had, had gone down. But even if you assume he's continuing at his current pace, I mean, you're talking about three or four stolen bases. So, I mean, let's say he runs half the time that he did. I mean, you're talking about one to two stolen bases. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at this point, if you're relying on him to make up a lot of ground in stolen bases, you, you probably should be looking elsewhere. Or you should be looking for another hobby because clearly you don't understand age effects and projection theory. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Sticking with the Yankees theme, Derek Jeter has been – oh, my God. So I I drafted Derek Jeter in Tout Wars, and I've been shuffling through so many shortstops this year. And finally, I settled on one in Brad Miller, and then Derek Jeter comes back and immediately goes back on the deal with his quad injury, which is it's hilarious. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with Brad Miller, so I, I wasn't dying to have Derek Jeter back at this point. But he's finally back again today, and in his first at bat, he hits a home run. Crazy. So do you think that he is going to earn any fantasy value in, in let's say, a 12-team mixed league this year? Um. He's probably maybe a low-end shortstop in a 12-team league. I'd be much more comfortable with him as a middle infield option. Uh, I mean, really, he did pop 15 home runs. He does love to go. I mean, we all know the inside-out swing that Derek Jeter has. We all know, you know, how Yankee Stadium plays up, at least in the right field in terms of home runs. Yeah, that was his home run today to the opposite field, of course. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see him knock, you know, another maybe four or five home runs out, which I guess from shortstop position actually isn't that bad. Uh, I mean, the thing there, again, the concern is he's always been part of a juggernaut offense with the Yankees, always hitting in front of guys that, you know, are big boppers that can really elevate that run total. I mean, in terms of the rate he scores runs, I can't imagine it's anywhere near that high this year. And, you know, like we like you mentioned, I mean, he's just he's just getting a year older and a year older and a year older every time. And 
at best you expect the skills to you know remain level, but you kind of have to expect a small downward slope. He'll give you some help in batting average, but other than that, I, I wouldn't you know count on him being some sort of savior, Derek Jeter, circa two thousand nine, two thousand ten, or or even during his spurts last year when he was doing really well. He's thirty nine right now. He's coming off of that. Obviously, the ankle injury was the initial problem that kept him out of the lineup, and then now he injured his quad, and now he's back from that. So he's had leg problems up the wazoo. You can't imagine him really contributing in stolen bases like he normally does. And when I was watching the game earlier today, uh, it was mentioned that the Yankees told him not to really run it 100%. Now, I don't know if that was talking about a routine ground ball out, don't run it 100%, or every time when he's running the bases. But you have to assume that he's not really going to be attempting as many steals, if any, uh, like he has in the past. And if he doesn't do that, and he's more like a 10-home run guy, again, he's 39 years old. You can't really assume that he's going to have another 16% home run per fly ball ratio. So he's not really going to be positive in the home run category, maybe more like neutral. To me, he looks like a two-category guy, run scored and batting average or OBP, depending on your format. And, and that's that's pretty close to replacement level. Yeah, I agree. And especially with, I mean, I just can't see that run run pace keeping up. And the stolen bases have been going down the last four years anyway. He'd gone from uh, 30 in 09 to 18 in 2010. And then I think he's been down, uh, he was down under 10 last year. So even when he didn't have all these foot injuries, these leg ailments, he wasn't running as much as he used to. So I, you know, if you're going to count on for more than, you know, one or two stolen bases the rest of the way, I mean, that's completely ludicrous i agree with you i'm much more comfortable as a middle infield option if i have him who would you prefer so tau warriors is an obp league who would you prefer for the rest of the year Derek jeter or brad miller i'd probably take brad miller i think the upside's higher with miller yeah i, I think i agree so what I'm, I'm really hoping now is i, I got to figure out what to do because i don't i, I think Derek jeter should be a starting whether it's a middle infielder or a shortstop a starting player in a 15 team uh, OBP league. I, I think he definitely should be starting. He definitely has some positive value. So I got to hope that he has a, a hot first week and uh, I can trade him to somebody. But I, I don't want to really hold him on my bench just sitting there and, and, and doing nothing for me. Yeah. And Jeter's one of these guys that's also, depending on which league you play in, I mean, that'd be Tout Wars is a little different than the average league that, that we're all playing in. But he's also the guy that even if you play with a you know a fairly good group of guys, still has a little bit of cachet value. I mean, I still saw him going way higher in drafts. I mean, given that he was supposed to be out for a long time uh, earlier this season, I mean, people were still picking him up in, you know, 17th, 18th, 19th round to sash him on the DL when uh, there was really no re- reason to think that he would return 17th or 18th to burn that DL spot on him. So, you know, it's one of those things where if he comes out of the gate, you know, you got a couple guys in your league that kind of, you know, like the big name that have been interested, you know, kind of want to relive the glory days of 2001 or something like that, you know, feel free to toss him an offer. All right, let's talk about another Yankee who has been an absolute disaster uh, this month. He's given up seven runs in his last two outings. Of course, we're talking about CC Sabathia. And check out these monthly ERA splits. April, 335. May, 414. June, 511. July, 660. At this rate, I'm afraid to get into August. He's going to post like an eight ERA. My God, what? And I actually traded for Sabathia uh, a couple of weeks ago in my local league, and he's been absolutely atrocious for me. What is going on here 
would you buy low or is he just done being uh, an ace? No. Or even a, a, a really top-tier pitcher? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of really weird. So I was actually reasonably negative on Sabathia coming into this year uh, in terms of uh, when we were talking about Fangraphs, when I was writing a couple things for Fangraphs Plus. Um, you know, I was saying, well, his velocity has been on the decline a little bit. He's getting older. He's just not quite striking out as many batters. And then this year out of spring training, he came out and he was, you know, what was he sitting in? I think the, the, he was actually sitting below 90 with his fastball and everyone was all panicking and he came out of the gate and didn't pitch that bad. And everyone said, ah, oh, don't worry about it. He's not that bad. And his velocity's actually been coming up as the season's gone along, but everything else has kind of completely fallen off the table. Yeah. He was actually his best when his velocity was at 90. And now when he's back up to 92, he's at his worst. Go figure, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's tough to really figure it out. I mean, the strikeouts, like, they've kind of been back and forth. I mean, I'm just kind of taking a peek at his XFIP. It's a little flatter than the ERA, but, you know, it's still his worst month this year by XFIP was, was July, so that's 4.01. Um, and, it, you know, the walks are what's really hurting him in July. I don't think I'd really buy low on Sabathia. I mean, it depends on what your definition of buy low is. If someone is completely panicked and it just wants to toss him to me and someone that I can kind of keep an eye on. And, you know, I kind of just did this with Matt Cain a couple of weeks ago, right before the all-star break, but essentially someone just sold me Kane for pennies on the dollar. You know, I'm not sold on Kane bouncing back to be an elite lead starter. I've never really thought he's been like a, you know, a top five guy. Like he sometimes gets that, that cachet, but you know, it's one of those things where if you can get him for a reasonable price, go ahead. But I tend to think that, you know, Sabathia is probably not this bad, but we probably are not going to see the CC Sabathia of the last five years ever again, uh, maybe for brief stretches. But to count on him going forward to be, a, you know, a top five, top ten fantasy pitcher, I think it's just uh, those days are gone. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, in his last start, you watch him and he had that. Really, it was one bad inning, and then his stuff would look great in some innings, and he would be striking out everybody. And so it's it's really difficult to figure out what the problem is here. I mean, if you're looking at his metrics, it's clear he's giving up way too many home runs. He's at a 14.6% home run per fly ball rate. Only twice previously in his career was he above 10%. And uh, that's also hurting him in the left-on-base percentage department. But overall, I mean, his skill set looks pretty decent. So his overall XFIP 359 is Sierra 366 versus a 465 ERA. Uh, his velocity is, I mean, it's not back to his glory days, but it's basically rebounded. So I don't see why he wouldn't make a, a great by low. And although he's probably not a top five, top 10 starting pitcher going forward, I'm betting on a top 15, top 20 guy. And so I don't have any leagues left to buy low on him. Oh, actually I do. I'm, I'm working on getting him in, in, in my labor league, which is one more league. And, and, and then I'll have the trio of owning him in almost every single league. And uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm a glutton for punishment. And obviously I'm biased here because I own him. But uh, I, I think that his luck is due to improve. And uh, he's clearly not as bad as this. And I think he's as good as a, a pitcher as any to, to really turn things around over the final two months of the season. Yeah. One other thing that would be interesting to look at, and this is completely anecdotally, but uh, I'd like to see maybe, uh, you know, Bill Petty or, or Jeff Zimmerman look at uh, edge percentage on him, because like I kind of agree that it, his stuff hasn't really looked that different. I guess the last couple starts that I've seen him, I, I saw him the other was it a couple Sunday nights ago against the Red Sox, um, but he just was having a lot of trouble hitting spots and. You know, I haven't watched Sabathia religiously enough to know. I mean, he's never been like a really a 
Greg Maddox type control guy. But it would be interesting to see if there's a, a shift in maybe not so much the overt metrics, but if there's uh, you know even just small uh, deficiencies in kind of his pitching approach that have, have led to this. But I mean, I, I generally agree with you. He's not completely done. I, you're a little more you know uh, bullish on him than I am. But like I said, if you can get him for low, might as well ride it out. Just be aware that you know you might have a couple clunkers thrown in there, just like he's had this year. Yeah, you know what's funny is that uh, the other day, the most recent news on Sabathia's Fangraphs page from RotoWire was after his start against Boston on the 21st when he gave up his seven runs, mm-hmm. and it was saying that uh, you know they found a, a mechanical flaw in Sabathia's delivery. And, and you read that, you're like, oh, okay, that provides the explanation. Now he'll be fine. And sure enough, he gives seven up seven runs again <laughs> following star. And you're like, oh, you know, that's so much noise and so much bull crap. You always read about this stuff that they found some flaw in his in his swing and in, in his delivery and his mechanics and blah, blah, blah. And, and then if he goes on to have some good outings, then they're going to point to that as being the explanation. But 99% of the time, all that stuff is a bunch of bull. And yeah. I- you you can't I I don't know I just can't buy into that I mean that's uh, Ike Davis last year everyone loved Ike Davis in the second half all you know Mets fans fantasy owners everyone this year he comes out slumping again and all anyone could talk about was how terrible his swing was the announcers were on him everyone was on him it's the exact same thing he was doing last year you go back and look at video side by side same thing so you know it's one of those things where people like to try to look for answers and things like that. And guys will try to say, oh, you know, we tweaked something. We raised his shoulder up by an inch. In the grand scheme of things, it's not worth chasing that kind of stuff. That, well, that's because people just can't accept random variation, luck, or just the ups and downs of a season. They just can't accept that as an explanation. So they search and search deeply just to find something that explains things even when there is no actual explanation. Yeah, I agree there. Speaking of which – something that we also might not have an explanation for and staying on the theme of disappointing pitchers. What is going on with Josh Johnson? A 6.08 ERA, he's now 1-7 over 74 innings. And here's another guy, 364 Sierra, 355 XFIP. All his skills are basically in line with everything he's always done, his ERA estimators, the same as he's always been doing, and yet his ERA is over 6. Yeah, this is, I mean, yes, and the thing is, yesterday he got brutalized by the, I think he gave up four or five runs without even recording an out against the Astros before he finally got one. Um, and, you know, that was, you think that was, if there's any start that Josh Johnson was going to kind of turn the corner and do really well, and you thought, boom, Astros home Saturday afternoon, we got it, and it was just brutal. Um, I mean, I'm kind of with you. His, you know, uh, everything I'm looking at, fastball velocity looks fine. I don't really, you know, with him, with the shoulder, you're always worried about, you know, when he was really hurt a couple of years ago, that fastball velocity was was dipping down. Um, I mean, he used to work in the mid-90s. He doesn't work in the mid-90s anymore. But, you know, I mean, I see like a, you know, a home run fly ball rate that's more than double his career rate. I see a bat pip that's much higher. I see a strand rate that's much lower. And that's what's giving you all these these metrics that are pointing down. I mean, I don't know. I think he makes a nice buy low target. Uh, you know, I, I guess I'm still kind of queasy about starting him, but that's just the eye test part of me. If I'm just looking at from a sabermetric standpoint, he seems like a guy that's that's a good uh, – looks like he'd be a good correction. What do you think? He he is a 22% home over fly ball at home. So 
clearly uh, Roger Center is is killing him, even though he actually has a better ERA of five five. <laughs> his ERA at home of five twenty nine is actually better than his away ERA, and that's because his away ERA is seven sixty six. <laughs> so even though he has a twenty two percent homer per fly ball rate at home, which is basically double his away rate, uh, it it hasn't hurt him as much, I guess, as he's been hurt away. So it's it's been a crazy season. And the funny thing is, I sent out a tweet. Uh, it was yesterday that Johnson started, right? Yeah. I sent yeah. out a tweet last night talking about his uh, his Sierra ERA discrepancy, asking if he was the unluckiest pitcher in baseball. And I wake up this morning to find a trade offer where somebody offered me Josh Johnson. And I'm like, wow, well, looks like somebody's <laughs> reading my tweets. And, yeah. you know, it was, it was in my 12-team mixed league. And he, he only asked for Eric Young Jr., who – I think it was a reasonable offer. I mean, it's not like he asked for, you know, a, a, a like a Kyle Seeger, who I think is uh, another potential sell high if you don't believe in him. But I think he's pretty, he's obviously more valuable than Eric Young. So I thought it was a fair offer. But Josh Johnson, in a 12 team mixed league, I'm not really rushing out to buy. So when I say he's a buy low, I think it's much more in a like a 15 team tout wars in a deeper league or an AL only league. But I mean, realistically, his uh, ERA projections for the rest of the season, Zips and Steamer basically agree he's a four ERA guy. He is in the AL. He is in the AL East, and he is in a, pit, uh, a hitter's park. So I, I don't, I still don't think he's worth a whole lot in a 12-team mixed league. But I think he should get a whole lot better from here on out, and he does make for a good buy low in a deeper league because yeah, I, he still has got the skills. And, I mean, even in some of these 12-team leagues, if you look – or these – you know, when if you're playing in like a ten team or something like that, I mean, it wouldn't even surprise me if he's been dropped on a couple. I mean, on on a couple wires and yeah, I he's not one of those guys. I don't think you want to make a linchpin of a staff, and I don't think you want to start him right away. But you know, if you kind of see those peripherals kind of stabilizing a little bit, and you kind of see some positive things, um, you know, he might be a guy that can get you uh, twenty or thirty innings going late August into September to help give you a little bit of a push in some of those roto categories, especially when you, you know, you don't want to leave any innings on the table in roto leagues. So he's one of those guys that might be a useful target for late in the season to try to push you up to that innings cap. Yeah. And I'm actually hoping that after declining that trade, that he actually drops Josh Johnson so I can just pick him up freely. Yeah. I'm thinking that, that that's actually quite a distinct possibility that he starts getting dropped in some leagues. And uh, I'd much rather just pick him up than make a trade for him. So. Yeah. All right. I want to talk about one last pitcher because this is a guy that I look forward to people really using up their fab on, and I'm going to laugh at it. And that's Jared Kosart, who is really walking the tightrope. Once again today, six more innings, only one run, but he walked five batters, only struck out one. Right now, he's got a ridiculous .86 ERA. In 21 innings over three starts, but a 495 xFIP, and he's walked four more batters than he struck out. And, yeah. and I'm sure all of the Astros fans and the broadcasters are getting excited, but this guy is clearly not ready. I mean, heading into the game, his swinging strike rate 4.3 percent, his first strike rate only 52 percent. This guy looks like, if you look at his peripherals, he looks like a guy who should have Josh Johnson's ERA, basically flip flopped. Yeah, I I thought it was adept that you said walking the tightrope because literally that's what he did today. You know, when you look, I took a look at the box score and I first looked at it and said, oh, five strikeouts, one walk, not too bad. And I was like, oh, wait, no, I have those numbers <laughs> backwards. Um, 
you know, I, yeah, I, I kind of, I'm with you. I'm hoping people are burning waiver priority. I'm in a, I'm in a fairly deep keeper league and I, you know, he's probably actually a free agent at this point. So, uh, and we just do a rolling waiver wire. So I don't think he's going to, he's going to cost anyone something, but anytime you're walking more guys than you're striking out, which is what he's doing at, I don't want I don't want any part of a guy that's really doesn't strike out that many batters to begin with, but in his situation I you know he, you're right I mean the swinging strike rate's not there, nothing really points to any sort of success other than the fact that he's had what two or three okay starts now at the big league level, um, which what baseball history is littered with these guys that can come out and be terrible pitchers and can put together two or three okay starts and make everyone think this guy is going to be good for us down the stretch all this other stuff. Nowhere near Jared Cozart. Not even in my uh, pretty deep AL only league. I, I don't. I'm someone actually probably has him at this point, but I don't want any part of him. Yeah, I mean, his one redeeming quality is uh, a great ground ball rate. He's kind of reminding me of Sam Deduno on the Twins, a guy who has bad control, not a very good strikeout pitcher, but a great ground ball rate. And, and Deduno has also been uh, walking the tightrope and, and somebody that I don't want any part of. I bet that Cozart garners lots of frenzy fab bidding. Uh, I, I know I don't know if he's owned in Tout Wars or Labor yet. If he's not, I bet that he is going to be bid on, hopefully at a high rate. And uh, I'm going to be laughing if that happens. <laughs> Because uh, I don't think this guy is going to be worth anything at all in any leagues over the rest of the year. I mean, his minor league rates, his walk rates have been bad. So it's not like a fluke that he is not showing good control at this point. So I think he's going to be worthless. Obviously, he's pitching in front of a bad team. So please do not pick up Jared Kosart. Avoid him at all costs. And uh, I just wanted to talk about him just to make sure that anybody listening to us does not get suckered in by his seemingly good start. Yeah, I mean, the only thing uh, is that, you know, in redraft leagues, I agree, don't touch him. Even in shallow keeper leagues, I don't want any part of that. Dynasty leagues, he does have a fairly live arm, which is somewhat interesting. I mean, obviously, they're going to give him every chance to stick as a starter. But with that sinker, uh, he actually has had okay strikeout rates in the minors. Guys that have okay strikeout rates as starters in the minors, bad walk rates and good ground ball rates who also throw harder than 95. That's kind of a profile I like and kind of a power setup guy. So if you're in a dynasty league and you need to burn a roster spot or something on him, I'm not going to fault you for that. But I agree. If you need him this year, you don't need him this year. So, yeah, yeah, I totally agree that long term, he, he kind of is intriguing because the seeds are there. Hard thrower, great ground ball rate. And and that's a really good start of an, an intriguing pitcher in the long term. But right now, he doesn't look anywhere near ready to succeed at the major league level. So I would stay away. Yep. Anyway, that's a wrap, folks. So join us again on Tuesday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Colin Zarzicki, uh, Mike Podhorzer, thanks for tuning in.